Well, good morning. We uh, are going to continue in our study through our evangelism course that we've been doing for several weeks now, and I'm going to open in a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into our lesson for today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you would help us this morning to understand your word more clearly, to understand our sinfulness, how we fall short. I pray that today, Lord, you would give us a tender conscience, a tender spirit that's willing to submit to the conviction that comes through your word. I pray that you would help us to be eager in evangelism, that you would produce in us a zealousness for good works that you've planned beforehand for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. We thank you for this gift of evangelism, the joy that comes with it in obeying and following your path for us, and pray that you would stir that up in our hearts even this morning. We love you, Lord, and pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. For the last several weeks, we've been um, going through this evangelism course, and we've, over the last couple, just been studying through um, texts in Scripture where we see how Jesus evangelized or how the apostles evangelized, and even back to the very beginning, wanted to focus on what is the content, what's the message that we're declaring, this good news that we call the gospel. And we've been spending these weeks trying to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, right? That's what Ephesians talks about. And uh, I think this morning we're going to hit on probably one of the harder topics. Um, not difficult to understand conceptually, um, but difficult to submit maybe our hearts to. And today we're actually going to talk about why we don't evangelize. Why we don't evangelize. And I think it's um, appropriate to think through, even just conceptually, I think it's really weird that we have trouble sharing this wonderful good news. I think if we honestly evaluate it, it's kind of weird I mean, when we have good news in other categories, we're overwhelmed and excited to share about having a new baby or this new promotion we got at work, and we're just, whoever we can talk to, we're really excited to share these things about with. But when it comes to the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ for eternity, we tend to get a little gung-chai. We're slow to share this good news with the world and with others. And really, this morning, what I want to do is kind of start with talking about some attitudes we ought to have in looking at Scripture this morning to address these, these sort of sinful habits we have in our thinking and in our personal lives. So I think up front we would agree that coddling corruption is a catastrophe for Christians. When we um, are playing with um, our sin, when we coddle it, when we um, cater to it and provide opportunity for it, it leads to more and more sin in our life, and it really is something that's devastating to our walk spiritually. And I think there's two things that we ought to really kind of frame our mind with this morning. One is that we ought to be suspicious of our sinful flesh. We ought to be suspicious of our sinful flesh. And we ought to not do this in some sort of self-consumed way. There's a tendency we have sometimes to really kind of think through, oh, am I doing this right? What were my intentions? And to really be almost unhealthily self-focused, but rather in a God-honoring way, we ought to be introspective in the sense that what are my intentions here? Why am I saying this? Why am I thinking this? Especially in the area of evangelism. We ought to pray to God rather than have what would be called a pity party for self. And you see this even in Psalms. Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24, the psalmist writes, "'Search me, O God, and know my heart.'" 
Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any grievous way in me and lead me instead in the way everlasting. That ought to be our prayer, our desire, as we walk in this Christian life. And I think we also, secondly, not need to just be suspicious of our sinful flesh, but we also need to instead be submitted to Scripture fully. We need to be submitted to Scripture fully. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. We need to know what God's word says, and we need to be submitted to it. We need to seek it, we need to store it up, and we need to live a life that's submitted to it. And I think we know these things, but I think it's always hard and a good reminder for us to be reminded that we need to trust God's word, not man's wisdom. And I think even in the Christian life, even for mature Christians, we often fall into this bad habit of knowing so much information that we instead go to our gut instinct rather than saying, is this what really scripture says? Is this what God is pleased by in this action, in this thought, in this desire? So we're gonna analyze a little bit some of these thoughts that we've all had, myself included, in this um, fight to obey God's command for evangelism. So first I wanna analyze just the, the situation. Evangelism is a command for believers. Matthew 28, 19 Jesus is speaking after his resurrection. He says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We are commanded to go and make disciples, and part of that is evangelism. 1 Peter 3.15 also says, But in your hearts honor Christ as Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect. Evangelism ought to be a spiritual discipline for the believer. Evangelism is an issue of obedience, not an option. There are no, therefore, good excuses for disobedience. I think for those of us that have been parents in the room, we would say that to our children. If I've clearly told you to do something, excuses are not an option. You need to obey First time, right away, all the way from the heart. And that's what we're called to do as well. So why in the Christian life then, why is disobedience in the area of evangelism tolerated? That's really the question. And I think as we think through any area of sin in our life, it's helpful to do a little bit of analysis. Say, what is the category of sin? What are the results of sin that tempt me in this area? Or what is the response that I have to this sin? So first, let's look at the category I think one of the issues with the disobedience that we often walk in in evangelism is that it's a sin of omission versus commission. It's a sin of omission. And the short illustration we could think about is husbands, right? Husbands are commanded to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And if we saw a husband who was cheating on his wife, we would say that is a heinous, horrible sin and crime and needs to be addressed with ferocity. But if a man stops loving his wife in the private of his own home, in his own walk, in his own life, do we treat that with the same ferocity? Maybe the fruit isn't there, but the root is the same problem. There's disobedience to this initial command that needs to be repented of. It is sin. It is displeasing to God. But because there's this omission that happens of, well, I'm not doing something, rather than I am taking an action that actually is breaking a law, we often lower our view of that sin in God's eyes. And if we lower God's standard of holiness, 
it's, it only leads to travesty. It distorts the gospel. It distorts the hope of the believer in a sure foundation in Jesus Christ. So not only is the category of sin here at one of omission, we don't do something. That's what that means. But also we need to look at the results. When we don't evangelize, often it's because we're looking for worldly comfort. We're looking to be um, coddled or catered to, or we're, we're looking to have some sort of convenience for us because it's really hard to spend the extra time to have a conversation with somebody that you don't know how long it's going to take, or it's a disruption to your plans. And so we're catered to, or the, the promise, you could say, sin is good for a season, Scripture talks about. This seasonal good that we often fall into is one of comfort, worldly comfort. But the result, spiritually, is there's dryness. You experience doubt in your own salvation and even go to points of despair. And it's because there's this hole in your walk with Christ where there's no overflow of joy and this salvation that has been won for you. There's no outlet of this obedience, this command that we're called to, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. Thirdly, I want to look at the response. So not only do we know the category of the sin, but the results of the sin, but also the response. I think oftentimes the worst part is when we sin, if we respond with more sin, it snowballs, right? If we don't address it right there when it happens and repent, it leads to this, this category that we all fall into at times of justification, right? I try to justify or reason through, give a good excuse for why I didn't obey or why I fell short of God's standard in that moment. And we try to come up with these even uh, what I would call, in quotes, sanctified excuses, right? Good biblical reasons. We would ra- use our rationale to uh, try to figure out why we didn't evangelize, why we don't obey. And I think what we need to understand is we try to pacify our guilty conscience with fleshly reasoning. We try to pacify it. But rather, what we ought to do is we, lay- we need to let Scripture speak to the bankruptcy of our bad ideas, And that's what we're going to try to do this morning. And as a short disclaimer, I want to say again, some of this might might sound a little harsh, uh, but we actually need to do the hard work of identifying and confessing sin so that we can grow in obedience. If we don't really take these sinful thoughts and ideas and excuses that we justify in our own minds out to the shed and shoot it, then we're never going to actually experience obedience and joy that God calls us to and invites us to be a part of. So, without further ado, we're going to talk through some excuses, and I have like four different categories of how I've tried to put these under, um, and just to, to help us go through why we don't evangelize. We don't evangelize because we experience this first category of inability. There's lots of reasons we come up with, and there's this category of inability, I would title it. One you might have heard of is, I don't feel qualified. I don't evangelize because I don't feel qualified. The problem is, we are made with a new purpose when we are saved, when we are bought by the blood of Christ. 1 Peter 2.5 says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And later, he identifies what does this look like to have an offering of a spiritual sacrifice. In verse 9, he says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Those who are saved by the gospel declare the gospel to others. First John would start out his letter that way. He would say, that which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have handled concerning the word of life, we declare to you. And over and over again in this study through um, the gospels and looking at Jesus ministering to people or the apostles, there's always this response of, I gotta go tell somebody. I gotta go tell somebody. And we ought to have that same response. Some others' uh, excuses in the category of inability would be, um, I don't evangelize because I don't think I'm a good speaker. I don't think I'm very good with words. I get frozen up, I get choked up, and I just, or I don't know what to say. I kind of go into this haze. I don't, I don't know that articulation is the best form or vehicle for me to really be involved in evangelism. And I always think of um, Exodus, right? When Moses was called by God to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. What did God say when Moses said, I, I don't think I'm a good talker. I don't think words are my thing. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? I think we need to remember that our call to evangelism is not excused by what we see as an inability or a lack of um, gifting or, or whatever it is. We actually are just called to obey. And a lot of times we get tripped up in this idea that, well, I need to have this skill set before I go out and actually walk in obedience in this area. I need to do these steps first. These are prerequisites. But they're really not. The prerequisite is that God has saved you and called you to obey. And we should. We should walk in obedience. Even if there's some sort of um, inability or lack of skill, God can still use that. God is sovereign over it all. And we need to trust him as we walk in obedience in this area. And remember that God has made you. He's made your mouth. He knows you inside and out. And if he calls you to it, he will equip you for it. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. I think we need to remember that. Another excuse and inability, we say we don't evangelize because we don't think it's our job. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, Paul would write, he says, and God gave us the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, both the ministry of discipleship internally to bring us mature in Christ, but also to bring others into the fold through this act of evangelism, through sharing the good news of the gospel. The saints, the church, the congregation is all part of the work of evangelism, and we're called to it, we're commanded to obey in this area. So we often fall into that um, sort of thinking of, well, we'll leave it to the professionals. We'll leave it to the people, the missionaries overseas, or the pastors, or staff people. That's really their job to do evangelism, but it's not. It's not what scripture says. Also, in this category of inability, we would often fall prey to think, I don't think it's my spiritual gift. But again, I think that's a misunderstanding of what scripture teaches about gifts. One is that we think about spiritual gifts as something that we get for us, right? That's what we think of a gift, right? If I'm given a gift, it's for me. But spiritual gifts are actually given in Scripture for the benefit of others, for the blessing specifically of the church. 
And we also misunderstand gifts secondarily in this way. We, we think that a gift is something that um, really narrows down what we're supposed to do. But gifting doesn't say this is, this is what you have a larger capacity for, so that's all you do. But rather it says there's a larger amount of capacity and joy you have in this. So there's going to be a lot more of this category that you do. That doesn't mean you're excluded from the other gifts. If you had a gift in evangelism, but you had no mercy shown to others, no kindness shown to others, if you had zero administration, that would be a problem, and you actually would need to grow in those other areas, even if it's harder for you. So a lack of gifting, maybe this isn't your spiritual gift, but that doesn't mean that you're not called and commanded to obey in this area. So we shouldn't use that sort of inability excuse to say, well, I don't know that evangelism is really my gift or something I'm really good at, but I also need to remember that gifting does not excuse obedience to God's commands. It doesn't excuse it. When we really kind of look at, as a whole, this excuse of inability, I think we need to identify the sinful root at the base of inability, because inability sounds really nice, right? I can go around saying, yeah, I struggle with inability, and we use the word struggle, and we use the inability, but we're not using the words of Scripture. I think the real root of these excuses would be self-focus. It's an issue of self-focus. I'm being selfish. I'm being self-centered. I think that it's all about me. And what we need is a savior focus that looks at the masterful, magnificent, beautiful power of Jesus Christ and says, look what Christ has done for me. Why would I think that there's any lack in my life today to be able to go out and share the good news with people that God's put in my path and put in my life? So we ought to really debunk from scripture and really go hard to fight against these temptations to justify our disobedience with this self-focus, this um, desire to excuse through inability. And what we need to do is we need to repent. We need to turn from sin, trust in Jesus Christ. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul's talking about the wisdom and power of God. And he talks about how God delights to use the foolish, the weak, the lowly, all according to worldly standards, to debunk the wise of this age. And really it is to show the power and wisdom of God in salvation. So when you feel weak, it's because you need to look to Christ and say, I know that you are strong. I've experienced that. I need to walk in obedience in this area of evangelism. But not only would we say uh, that there's an issue with self-focus or inability, but secondly, we don't evangelize because of this category where we could say we're afraid. We're afraid to evangelize. And some of the excuses that come up in this category would be, well, we, I just don't think that it's politically correct or it's polite or it's not good manners to just kind of throw something out and be so abrasive with people or I don't want to be rejected by other people. And I'm afraid if I, if I share something with them that they're really going to reject and it's going to ruin the relationship and then, you know, long term, what good is the gospel going to be if I'm not there, if I'm not a part of that relationship, or really what we're doing is we're saying we're afraid of risk. We're afraid to take risks to share the good news of Jesus Christ, and the problem with these sort of statements or justifications that we think in our disobedience of evangelism is that we're more concerned with man's response than God's glory. We're more concerned with what somebody thinks about me rather than what God thinks about me. Am I seeking to obey my heavenly Father, or am I seeking to bow the knee to the tyranny of the thoughts of people around me? 
We often fall prey to this idea that we're afraid of people. We're just not even just like, I'm afraid to be rejected, but I'm just, I'm just afraid to talk to people. I, I'm not good with people. I'm, they're scary. They're maybe just something that's really, I just have this sort of, you know, what I'm saying. You know? <laughs> that's really how it ends, right? It's like, I don't know. I just, I just don't like people. I just, not my thing. But the problem, right, the problem with that sort of justification is I'm afraid of people. Well, join the club. I mean, right? I mean, I don't think there's any of us that would really go out and say, man, I just, I mean, maybe Mike Everett, maybe. Okay, but most of us are not like, I want to jump up and go meet 20 new people today. Like, that's what I want to do. Okay? Most of us are not wired that way. But we need to be able to say, this call and command to evangelism is more than about my preferences or my feelings or whatever it is that makes me comfortable, but rather it's supposed to be rooted in a love for God and a love for others. I should love them and have compassion on them. Listen to what Jesus said after being scolded for meeting with this tax collector, Zacchaeus. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. We are to be seeking out these sort of people. We ought to have compassion on them. We ought to have love for them. And John would talk about this in his first epistle, chapter 4, verse 8. He writes, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. The mark of a true believer in Christ is that we show love. And Paul would talk about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He would repeat at the beginning of that chapter multiple conclusions. And in verse 2, one of them, he says, If I have all faith as if to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. We ought to have such a deep and rooted love for God that it overflows in our love for people, how we see them, how we view them. And it ought to change the way that we actually have a natural maybe disposition to fear people, to say, man, I know that God loves them and he's shown amazing love to me. I want to, even if it's awkward, if I stumble, I, I can look foolish for a minute. It's not a big deal. It, in the big scale of things, it's not a big deal. I mean, really, if we're honest. And say, I really want to just show love to this person right now because I want to be a light and I want to have an opportunity to show them the love of God, specifically in the gospel. I think other um, issues of fear, we said we're afraid to lose our job. I think this one's come up often for, for those of us that have had a career job. But we need to remember the fact of who has provided your job. Who has put you there? I think we need to remember that God's purpose for you being at your work or having your business contacts or being in the place of employment that you have currently is not for a paycheck. It's actually to proclaim the gospel. You're being put there as a part of God's plan in redemption for sinners in that workplace. God's not put you there for some sort of desire for personal success, but rather for proclaiming salvation. Promotions, prestige, or personal significance is often an idol in the hearts of Christians even. And it needs to be repented of and removed if there's going to be true obedience and joy in this command of evangelism. And I think it's an important aspect, especially for 
for those in the workforce, because it's easy to get tied up in this sort of task-oriented mentality where I'm, I'm called, I'm, I'm going to be employed, I need to honor the Lord with my integrity, how I use my time. But that doesn't mean we disregard God at the workplace because I'm getting an employer that's telling me what to do. I ought to always seek to obey God in every area of my life. And I think oftentimes when you actually start being a light in the workplace, you're Many employers, not all, but many employers are actually blessed by that. God ends up blessing that place because you are choosing to be a light for him rather than just trying to make a living for yourself. I think these excuses of fear or, or being afraid are truly an issue of self-love. That's the issue, is that we love ourselves more than we love God. And we need to identify it as a root of sinfulness, And we need to instead turn and look to God, look in his word and say, I'm not called to a self-love. I'm called to live out a sacrificial love for God and for others. And that ought to be our heart in evangelism. So I hope you you are thinking through these personally and you're like, some of these fears or, or excuses have come up in your heart, but I hope that you're seeing that there's a way that we take God's word, we identify the sin root, we confess it and we turn from it. That's how we need to deal with sin. But there's yet still two more categories we're going to deal with, so hopefully this has been helpful, but we're, we're going to continue to drill down into some of these this morning. Why we don't evangelize, number three. We don't evangelize because we're unintentional. I think there's this category of, of simply being unintentional with evangelism. Some of the excuses that come up, I don't evangelize because, well, I'm just too busy, even we'll say too busy with other good things. I'm involved with lots of different ministries at church. I'm involved in a lot of ways in these groups with these people. Um, So I'm really just, there's just too much on the plate right now. I can't actually, you know, evangelize or share the gospel with others. And really the issue is you always make time for what you really want. You plan ahead for it. If you want to do something, you're going to make time in your schedule for it. And I'm You can think of a list of things last week where it's like, man, I really wanted to do this, and so I rearranged some things, and I made sure that I was able to do it. It's the same with evangelism. If we recognize this command from God and we actually want to walk in obedience, you will make time for it. You will be intentional with it. You'll make a plan. Other excuses under this category would say we see other things as more urgent. And I think, again, it's because we, we fall prey to this idea of this, this sin of omission or, or lack of doing something in a command. And rather than seeing it as a sin issue, we don't prioritize it as something we're ought, we ought to walk in obedience in. Paul would talk about the priority of the gospel in Philippians in chapter 1 when he talked through um, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he says that to live is actually fruitful labor for me. That's the summary of living for Christ. That's what the only thing, he says at the end of the chapter, the only thing that ought to be is walking worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That needs to be our focus. No matter what your job title or your name tag says, or whatever your LinkedIn page describes you as, we are first and foremost saved by Jesus Christ to obey our King. And that involves evangelism. Romans 12, 11 um, really speaks to the issue of uh, the excuse of laziness. I think we're oftentimes just spiritually lazy. But Romans 12, 11 says, don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. We often try to undertake everything in our own power. And we're not prepared or equipped 
because we don't look to God's word to equip us and be intentional in pursuing obedience in this area of evangelism. Other excuses that would fall into this category is we're not looking for opportunities. We're so focused on other things that our eyes aren't up looking around to say, who is the Lord putting in my path today? Oftentimes it just requires the intentional look to say, and even think to ourselves, who, first thing in the morning, who is the Lord wanting me to tell the gospel to today? Sometimes it ends up being a believer. You randomly meet somebody and they're, they still need to be encouraged in the gospel. That's not like, oh, I failed, I haven't obeyed this command yet. Am I overflowing from my mouth to share the good news of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection? That is what we are called to do. And sometimes you're going to bump into lots of different people, but are you looking for these opportunities? You need to be looking for the opportunity. Have your eyes up. Be intentional. Other excuse would be, well, some people say, I just don't know non-Christians. I don't know unbelievers. I just, the way my schedule works right now, I'm just not really crossing anybody's path. And I just think that's a lame excuse. I think, again, if you, if you wanted to, you would meet somebody. You're, you go to the grocery store, you eat out at a restaurant, you go work out at the gym, whatever it is, you're going to cross somebody somewhere. The fact of the matter is you're so recluse that you choose to not know anybody. You really do, and you're content with it. But it's an issue when you look at Scripture and you say, what has God called me to? He calls me to um, not, be, not just be, in the world, not be of the world, but be in the world to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I think when we really summarize uh, these excuses of unintentionality, the true sinful issue at the root of it is just slothfulness. Scripture talks about slothfulness. The sluggard in Proverbs is brought up over and over again. And what we need to be, instead of a slothful person, we ought to be a servant of Jesus Christ. A servant is somebody whose master, his, his orders, his commands, is the primary and first thought in the morning, all throughout the day, even until night. What does my master call me to do today? How can I obey his commands and have that sort of attitude Don't wait for evangelism to happen to you, but go and actively pursue it. I think some of the ways, and we'll probably talk through some of these more in the future, but I just wanted to give a couple brief ways to think about, or maybe even poke the bear a little bit, on how we can be more intentional. One would be, I mean, for guys, I mean, how many times do you think through your outfit, and is is my holster pocket going to fit here? How do I carry in this outfit, right? Have you ever thought... Does a Gospel of John fit in my back pocket today? Can I, can I actually slip a Gospel track in here and carry that with me and be intentional today to bring that with me? Same with women. Like, if you're in the car, you have your purse, is there something in there? I think it's interesting when you think about, I've carried before, and it's, if, that, if I'm carrying a weapon on me, I have this constant impression on my flesh that reminds me to be very vigilant and aware I, I think and operate differently if I have a weapon on my hip, right? Can I get a couple nods, right? Very different, right? And it's the same. It's, it's the same. Like in my prayer life, if I really want to pray for somebody, I write it down. I have it in a notebook that I check every day, right? If I really want to read my Bible in the morning, I put it on my nightstand. That way it's right next to me in the morning when I wake up and say, this is, this is right in front of me. I'm going to look at it. I'm going to do it. And it's the same with evangelism. Am I putting something in my pocket? Am I carrying something with me? Something to remind me? Am I praying? Is it part of my prayer life in the morning? Lord, help me to see what you have planned for me today so that I can share the good news with whoever you bring into my path. Help me to have eyes to see what you see. 
Help me to be intentional. And I think we ought to think through some of these ways that we just absentmindedly go through our day without a thought to share. And we're then disappointed when we are talking about the topic of evangelism. Well, I just don't think I have a lot of opportunity or I don't, I just miss it or whatever it is. It's like, be intentional up front. It does take work. It takes effort. And I think we need to be intentional in this area of evangelism. Fourth and finally, I want to talk about some excuses that fall under this category of of simply what you could call unbelief. We don't evangelize because there's a huge issue of unbelief. Some categories, some statements maybe you've thought before or heard before is, well, some people are just like, I just don't know if it'll work. I just don't know if this really works. They say, we say stuff like, well, they just don't want to hear. Or they, they won't be really interested if I try to share with them anyway. Or they, they probably already know the gospel. I, I, I don't need to beat a dead horse. They probably already know it. Or it probably won't work. Or I doubt they'll believe. I think we've all had those thoughts before in different situations. And what we're doing in that moment is we're excusing the conscience of the Lord trying to say, now's the moment. Now's the opportunity I'm giving you to just share what I've done in your life. Share the good news with this person. Throw the seed. Throw it out there and see what I will do. Be faithful. Be obedient. Scripture clearly fights against this issue of unbelief. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The power is in the message. Not even in the messenger, in the message. And I think we ought to obey and fight against these thoughts that come up and pop up in our head to try to justify our sin and simply repent and turn from it. If you're not in the moment anymore, it's still worth repenting of. Say, Lord, I actually hate this part about me. I don't want to justify my sin. I want to have an attitude that seeks to obey you in this area of evangelism. I think sometimes we really just have uh, bad theology. Sometimes what happens is we, we think through things incorrectly because we're trusting our gut rather than looking to scripture. And we, we go through this errant type of thinking of, well, God is sovereign, so if he wants them to hear gospel, he can just use somebody else. Or he's, he's going to make sure that they get saved, and I don't need to worry about it, really. I can just sit on the sideline. But that totally forsakes so many times in scriptures where it talks about our responsibility, our culpability, to obey the commands of God. There's actual joy in it too. I'm not trying to like pound you with, you need to obey, this is so dutiful, but I actually want to entice you to say, you're actually missing out on one of the greatest joys in the life of a Christian. I can't tell you, when I look back at the times when I've evangelized, it's usually the highlight of my week because you see what God's doing in totally different ways than when you're just going through the the motions of the week. And when you actually participate it, there's a joy that comes with that. And what we want is for our church to experience that joy in glorifying God through the proclamation of the gospel. So don't let bad theology and bad thinking justify your, your um, disobedience in this area. Also, sometimes what we think is we forget God's love for us through Christ, which he has purchased for us. We forget the gospel. We really do. We forget that Jesus Christ has died and shed his blood so that I can be made new, not for living for myself, but for living for him. Paul says this in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We remember that we're bought with a price and we ought to glorify God with our bodies. In Romans 12, it talks about being a living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable to God. And he calls it a reasonable service. What a joy it is to walk in obedience in this area. And we need to really identify these excuses of unbelief as really just self-reliance. I want to rely on my own reasoning, my own thoughts. I want to do what I feel is right rather than submit to the authority of God's word that's been clearly revealed for us to walk in obedience. We need to be, rather than self-reliant, we need to be scripture-dependent. And I think as you study God's word more and more, the more it will be on your lips, on your thoughts, and the more it will overflow in your conversations with others because you want them to see and delight in Jesus Christ who alone can save them from their sins. If I can just close with uh, an encouragement to you. There is lasting and satisfying joy only in living out the purpose with which you were created. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? We know 2, 8, 9, but we often forget verse 10, right? The salvation of, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one will boast. But in verse 10, he says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which were prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Let's seek to intentionally forsake our sinful excuses, and to walk in obedience and joy of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others. May we have hearts that are praying to our God. May we have mouths that proclaim his good news, and may we have hands that prove it in a life of faithfulness to him. Let's close in a word of prayer. We'll be done this morning. Lord, as we hear from your word this morning and recognize our, our own failings in this area of evangelism, we often are tempted to excuse our sinfulness, to excuse our fear of man. Lord, I just pray that your spirit would bring about true conviction and repentance that trusts in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is sufficient for everything we need. Your word has provided everything we need for life and godliness. There's no lack. And when we disobey, when we make excuses, we're trying to say that you've not done enough. There's not yet enough accomplished to give us what we need to walk in obedience in this area. But I pray, Lord, as Augustine did, that you would give us the grace to obey your good commands. Help us to see the joy and delight in your commands, not as burdensome, but as light, as something that we can walk in, that we can leap in, that we can enjoy because we are made in Christ to enjoy you forever. I pray that you would give us lips that desire to declare the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came to this earth and lived a perfect life that we have failed to live and died the death that we deserve so that we can be made right with our creator and live with you forever. Lord, what an amazing gift of salvation you've given to us. And I pray that you would give us an overflow of joy that impacts specifically the areas that you've called us to live in, specifically the workplaces of these church members, specifically the neighbors of these church members, specifically here in Lawrence or our members in Topeka or Eudora or surrounding towns, Lord. You've placed us here with a purpose. Help us to look to you in faith, to be intentional to pursue your plans and to experience the joy that comes with evangelism, the joy that comes with walking in obedience with our amazing Savior.
We love you, Lord. We thank you for your grace to us. Ask that you continue to equip us, to call us, to encourage us in this walk, in this life. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. We'll be back here for worship at 1030.